here we are again with Bromosome mm -hmm. Dev. Um, just going to do a quick couple of quick pronouns, or short pronouns, for the gurus involved. Om Jnana Timirandhasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Yahasankya Pankena Kutarka Pamsuna Vivarta Gartena Chalukta Diditing Shuddham Vyadhadvak Sudhaya Maheshwaram Krishnam Sajivaha Prabhurastu Megatihi with his nectarian teachings, Sri Jiva Goswami Prabhu revealed the Supreme Lord, Krishna, whose effulgence had been hidden by the quicksand of calculation, the dust storm of fallacious logic, and the ditch of illusionism. May he be my shelter. That's by Baladev Vidyapushan. So, Sri Brahma Sangeeta, Kijay. Sri Jiva Goswami Prabhu, Kijay. So, as we heard, last time which was a couple of months ago because i had an injury i was working around still am but here we are so we're in the midst of jiva goswami's commentary on brahma samhita and we are in the midst of his commentary on the first verse ishwara parama krishna satchirananda vigraha so today we pick up where we left off last time with Vigraha, so the form. Now, of course, Jiva Goswami was writing at a time when um, what's the word? I guess impersonalism or the it was widely considered by most transcendentalists in India that the form of the absolute or the absolute rather is formless. And so he's gearing much of his commentary toward that and dealing with those arguments and dispensing with them. So he, he goes into the word vigraha so he's he's, uh, he's already gone through Krishna and Anadi and Sarvakarana and Haranam. And so he's developing an argument. Sevanidhi, welcome. He's developing his argument um, for a personal God, a God who uh, has a form. And as we'll hear in the next couple of sections, not only has a form, but it's a particular type of form. It's a, it's, it's in other words, Brahman has a vigraha, a form, but it's also a, uh, a sat vigraha and a chit vigraha. So sat chirananda vigraha, right? So he goes to all those modifiers of the term vigraha to lay out very clearly what is meant by in the ultimate being with a form, what it, what it means to have a form. So he begins by bringing up an objection because he says, well, even those who claim that the roots Krish and Na in the word Krishna simply mean supreme bliss and do not indicate a person must give regard to the fact that he has inherent powers made apparent by the descriptive words such as Ishvara in the verse. 
So earlier on, when he was uh, quite a ways back, uh, when he was talking about the word Ishwara, he rendered it as the ultimate controller of all things, which is, that's what it is. But later on, further on in, let's see, Yes. So later on, in the course of describing, uh, explaining the term Govinda, he um, gives an interesting or a slightly different rendering of the word Ishwara as the possessor of all powers, which it is synonymous. It's just a way of saying, a different way of saying the same thing, because the one who possesses all powers is going to be the controller of everything. Um, because the only way to control is through having Shakti. So, as is the consist consistent uh, argument from all of the Goswamis, there's a uh, point generally is made that Brahman possesses Shakti. Um, not that Brahman is just, you know, now the, the uh, Maya bodies will say, well, Brahman is Satchitananda. They don't say Vigraha, though. They say it's Satchitananda. So Jiva Goswami actually addresses this with an objection because he quotes from the Shruti, from the Taitariya Upanishad, and from the Shvetashvata Upanishads, uh, where the Taitariya says, Brahman is bliss. And uh, the verse goes on, but that's the main idea. And then the next verse, Natasya Karim Karanam Chavidyate, he has no body and no senses. No one is equal to him or higher. So with these, Shabadasi, welcome. With these, uh, with these quotations, uh, these citations, he's, he's um, using these verses to lay out the objection to the idea that the absolute has a form, a permanent form. And so he says, an opponent may thus say, though you say, that according to the etymology, Krishna means he who attracts all, he who is the greatest, and he who is bliss. Mm -hmm. From that definition itself, he should actually be considered formless, for bliss cannot have a form in view of the above quotations, which is he has no body, no senses, etc. So as we know, if we've been listening to the um, Guru Maharaj and uh, pretty much anyone else, for that matter, uh, for any length of time, uh, if we've been listening to Gaudiya Siddhanta for any time, we have heard the explanation that when the Shastra says that Brahman or that the Absolute has no body and no form and whatnot, no body and no senses, that what is actually meant is has does not have a body or senses composed of the three gunas. But he does, and then other verses, uh, Jiva Goswami doesn't bring it up here, but other verses will say, you'll find other verses in the Shastra that he has, and yet still he has a body, and he has a form, and he has senses, he has a mind, and all these things, but they're not, they're different from ours. And so this verse obviously is a, overall is a, a, a concise description of the difference between us, the Jivas, and Ishvara, Krishna. So, his answer, <clears throat> excuse me, his answer to that objection is that that may be true, but the Lord, being 
by being endowed with supreme shaktis, parama. So he keeps referring back to the original verse that he's discussing, Ishvara parama. He possesses an extraordinary form full of eternal bliss. Thus the verse states, Satchit Ananda Vigraha. He is bliss, but also has a form, which is eternity, knowledge, and bliss. And to substantiate this, as is the standard process in all tikas, you'll find that the person, uh, the, the commentator will make a point and maybe compose their own verse to make that point. And then inevitably, sooner or later, they will draw from the revealed texts to make their point. So he quotes from the Bhagavatam, 10th canto. Uh, where is this? From the 14th chapter. So this is from Brahma's prayers. And the, the phrase that we're going to focus on here, or, or that is relevant to Jiva Goswami's answer, is Nitya Sukha Bodha Tanao. Tanu means body. So Nitya Sukha Bodha Tanao means um, whose unlimited transcendental forms are full of eternal happiness and knowledge. So for those who want to say that Brahman is formless, well, they have to deal with these verses. And of course, they have their own ways of kind of explaining this stuff away in the same way that we have ways of explaining away or explaining the, the statements that seems to say otherwise. So, but in Gaudiya Sampradaya, we tend to think we have a, a stronger case to be made that the absolute has a form than doesn't. <laughs> um, it, if you take into account the entirety of the revealed literature, not just one section of it, or, or if you don't cherry pick <laughs> the statements that want to want to support your point, and you actually look at both sides of the argument, and you'll find there's more evidence for the absolute being a person with a form than not. And of course, in uh, in our sampradaya, we readily admit that Brahman is an aspect of the absolute. Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavan Iti Shabdite, we hear in the Bhagavatam. So, but as Jiva Goswami will uh, explain later, that uh, Brahman is, uh, he, he quotes from the Gita later on, Brahmanohi Pratishtaham, the last verse of the 14th chapter. So, that Krishna speaking is the basis of Brahman, not the other way around. And then he also quotes from Gopal Tapani and Hayashirshu Upanishads. They say, Satchidananda Rupaya Krishnaya Krishta Karmane. I offer my respects unto Krishna with a form of eternity, knowledge, and bliss, unafflicted by suffering. So he's still establishing, so having, he, he's established that, that Brahman has a form. He also, as a last proof, he offers the point that in the Brahmanda Purana, there's 108 names of Krishna mentioned there, where he is described as Nanda Vraja Jananandi Satyarananda Vigraha. So he has a form of eternity, knowledge, and bliss, which gives joy to the people of Vraj. So that one, of course, is specific to Vraj Krishna, the one that we're interested in, not just not not Dvarakesh Krishna. 
Um, so Jeeva Goswami generally tends to he'll bring in evidence from wherever and, and it may it may be referring to the the Aishwarya aspect of Krishna, Dwadakesh Krishna, and it may be referring to Vrindavan Braj Krishna. But in, the other, in either case, the point is made. So then he moves on to uh, explain uh, Satvigraha. So, okay, so Brahman has a form, but it's not just any old form, it's a Satchitananda form. So he's going to go through each of these modifiers, Sat, Chit, and Ananda, and what they actually mean. So he says that Satvigraha means that his form does not change. So not like ours, right? I mean, I'm. I'm just in my early 50s and I've seen lots of changes in my body and most of them aren't favorable. Uh, Christian doesn't have that problem. <laughs> so, and again, he, as evidence, he quotes from the Bhagavatam from the second chapter. So this is the demigods praying to the Lord. And it's a beautiful verse, satya vrtam, satya param, tri satyam, satyasya yonim, nihitam cha satye, satyasya satyam, vrta satya netram, satyamakam tong sharanam prapanna. So demigods are saying, oh Lord, you never deviate from your vow, you never do this, you always do that. And the operational term here is your instructions apply for everyone, for all time. So sat it exists in all phases of time and outside of time so and the verse also says that he is known as the antaryami so mm, the antaryami is something that's going to be a little different from just the jiva they're both eternal but the antaryami is always aware of the fact that he is what he is so then he quotes from, let's see, these are well, Devaki, a couple of verses from Devaki, where she says, after millions of years at the time of the cosmic annihilation, when everything manifested and unmanifested is annihilated by the force of time, the five gross elements enter into the subtle conception. That would be the elements entering or becoming uh, unmanifest, entering back into the Mahatattva, into the, the aggregated unmanifest elements. At that time, you alone remain, and you are known as Anantasheshanag. So now, of course, we, would, we wouldn't quibble with that. She's right. But we may put a bit of a nuance on it and, and say, well, Anantasheshanag is, yes, <laughs> that is Krishna, but it's a very specific, it's, it's an angsa of an angsa. You know, angsha, angsha, kind of idea, a port, a part of a part of a part, but still the absolute. And point being made here is, uh, when everything else is gone, he's still there. He's there before everything exists, before anything exists. He manifests the elements from which everything exists, from which everything is built in the material world, the material world itself. And then when all that is gone, he's still there. So. He is sat. And in the next verse, Devaki says, no one in this material world has become free from the four principles, birth, death, old age, and disease, even by fleeing to various planets. 
But now that you have appeared, my Lord, death is fleeing in fear of you. And the living entities, having obtained shelter at your lotus feet by your mercy, are sleeping in full mental peace. So this is obviously another way of saying the same thing. If death is afraid of, whoever death is afraid of, you know that, because death is eternal, right? Everybody, everything in the material world eventually dies and decays and dies and whatnot. So if death is afraid of something, then that thing is not subject to death. This sought, always, always existing. He quotes from Brahma from the 14th chapter. Um, Have you not shown me today? This is a beautiful verse. I think I'll read the whole thing because it's so relevant to um, to the to the Braj, Braj Krishna. And such a sweet, even though there's so much Aishwarya and it's so sweet at the same time, Brahma's heads are still spinning from the fact that Krishna has shown him who he really is. <clears throat> and he says, have you not shown me today that both you, yourself, and everything within this creation are manifestations of your inconceivable potency? First, you appeared alone. Then you manifested yourself as all of Vrindavan's calves and coward boys, your friends. Next, you appeared as an equal number of four-handed Vishnu forms who were worshipped by all living beings, including me. And after that, you appeared as an equal number of complete universes. Finally, you have now returned to your unlimited form as the supreme absolute truth, one without a second. And interestingly, that supreme form was just Zagopal, which Jiva Goswami will, in the section on Govinda, he will explain that in much greater detail. Um, it's very interesting that, you know, the absolute is just a boy holding some rice and yogurt in his hand. And yet, and, and in the midst of the, mm, the sweetest place in existence, in the midst of Raj, he shows the greatest Aishwarya. There's more Aishwarya in this pastime, in this Leela, than in Dwaraka, all of Dwaraka, anywhere. There's no more Aishwarya than seeing unlimited Vishnus emanating from the body of this boy so brahma was like okay now i get it and jiva goswami then quotes from the gita 1427 because i am superior to the conditioned and liberated jivas i am celebrated in the vedas and the smritis as the supreme person so the verse draws a distinction between the kshara, that's us, we are the fallible, and the akshara. But the verse also says, akshara api cha uttamaha. So there's the kshara, that's us, that's like the material bodies or any material manifestation. Then there's the akshara, you could say the jiva, but you could also say that the jiva is the kshara, the, the mm, fallible because we're subject to being in illusion. And you could say that what he's saying here is he's superior even to uh, Paramatma, right? The Akshara, because Paramatma is definitely infallible, and yet he's superior even to that. It doesn't say it in the verse like that, but I think you could reasonably make that, uh, draw that meaning out of the verse. And he quotes from Gopal Tapani. 
he is unchanging, free from birth and old age. So again, saying he's sat. He who stays in Vrindavan is indivisible. Death fears Govinda, who stays with the cows, who protects the cows, and who resides with the cowherd people. So then he goes on to, uh, so now having established that he has a form that exists in all phases of time and outside of time, really. Uh, as a sat vigraha, now he goes on to chit vigraha, what that means. So chit, of course, we know is uh, consciousness or awareness. And so Jiva Goswami says that the form, this chit vigraha means that the form has the power to reveal itself to others because it is self-revealing. It is not dependent on another object to reveal it. And he quotes, now he goes into his quotations. So this is this is a point that you'll find, this is actually a foundational point in all of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, that it is a ascending path, not a descending path. Uh, yes, a descending path, excuse me. <laughs> uh, it comes down to us. In other words, if as uh, Srila Sridharmaraj would explain, if Krishna, if the Absolute wants us to know him, we will know him. Otherwise, we can't, by the power of our senses, we can't know him. So that's what it means to know something, that it is revealed to us. Um, so he quotes from Brahma in the 14th chapter again, from the Bhagavatam. Ekastvam Atma Purusha Purana Satya Swayam Jyotir is the um, relevant phrase. Swayam Jyotir, he self-manifests or manifests of his own light, one could say. So that's uh, another way of saying he's Ishwara as well, because if he's self-manifest, he's independent of any, any um, material or external conditions. And then he quotes from the Gopal Tapani again. Those desiring liberation should take shelter of Krishna, who reveals himself to others' perception and who previously created Brahma and protected spiritual knowledge for him. So, who reveals himself to others' perception. And then, One cannot see this his form with the material eye. So, this is kind of... Uh, What's, what to say is uh, adding some some detail or nuance to the point. So Krishna reveals himself, but how? Not to the material eye. And then Mundakapunishad, the Lord reveals, him, reveals his form to whomsoever he chooses. So that's that. Again, we get to that point. So Chit means Chit Vigraha. It's it's a it's a self-revealed body that can has the power to reveal itself to anyone at any time at his will or not reveal himself and we find a, an interesting example of this excuse me um what is that example in the in the bhagavatam uh yeah when krishna enters the arena when he's left vrindavan and he enters the arena to deal with Kangsa. There's a verse that describes how the different people in the audience saw him. So some saw him as the absolute truth. Some saw him as 
the Rishnis and uh, the people on on his side, they saw him as their friend, or the women saw him as um, the most beautiful, desirable man. Kangsa saw him as death personified. So the general principle is we see God, or God reveals himself, I should say, to us relative to our approach. So if we approach him as an enemy, he's not going to appear very pretty to us. He's going to appear like death. If we approach him as a lover or a friend, he's going to appear very, very different. Um, so that's a, a foundational point that um, I guess we don't need to belabor anymore. So the Jiva Goswami now, he deals with Ananda. Ananda Vigraha means that Govinda is the abode of the purest, highest prema, complete with all its components. And he quotes from the Bhagavatam, 14th chapter again. <laughs> and the verse says, O Brahmana, how could the cowherd women have developed for Krishna, someone else's son, such unprecedented pure love, love they never felt even for their own children? Please explain this. So this is referring again to that same, um, the same Leela, Brahma Vimohan Leela. And this is, of course, uh, Pradikshit asking Shukadev to explain how is it that um, that the that the, uh, the cowherd people were so attracted. To Krishna, someone else's son. So they love their own children, obviously. But they love Krishna more. And their children love Krishna more than they love their parents. So as Guru Maharaj has explained many times, this is the, the beauty of praying and the beauty of bhakti, that there is a common center that everybody agrees on. And so Everybody loves that center more than they love themselves, more than they love their husband, wife, children, whatever it may be. And so everybody agrees. Everybody's happy because they can all get along because they all love Krishna. <laughs> so everything's harmonized that way. And Vasudev says in the third chapter of the, of the Bhagavatam, my Lord, you are the supreme person beyond material existence, and you are the super soul. Your purely blissful form can be perceived by transcendental knowledge by which you can be understood as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. I now understand your position perfectly. So your purely blissful form. So that's Ananda Vigraha. And then the Shruti says, and he doesn't say which Shruti, Anandam Brahmano Rupam, form of Brahman is bliss. Now, again, we could, if you took that, statement of the Shruti out of context, you could make a case that, I mean, how does bliss have a form? What is the form of bliss, right? You could say the form of Brahman is bliss is just a way of saying that Brahman is, the nature of Brahman is blissful, but it doesn't necessarily have a form with, you know, hands and eyes like we have. But as we know, or as I explained earlier, you can't really do that without throwing a whole bunch of other statements out the window. 
So he points out that the words Atma and Vigraha may be used as synonyms. And it has been shown that the Lord, unlike the Jiva, does not have a material body different from the Atma, the Dehi. So we are Dehi, and we possess a Deha, a body. Krishna is not like that. His, he is, his body and his Atma are the same. And so then he quotes from the Bhagavatam, 14th chapter again. Krishnam enam avehipam atmanam akhilatmanam jagadhitaya sopyatra dehi babhati mayaya. You should note Krishna to be the original soul of all living entities. For the benefit of the whole universe, he has, out of his causeless mercy, appeared as an ordinary human being, dehi. He has done this by the strength of his mercy. So. He can appear however he wants by his mercy. We can't do that. We come and go according to the dictates of the material nature and our karma. So he's very, very different. An interesting note here that Jiva Goswami mentions Maya in this verse means mercy. And he goes on to explain that the Vishva Prakash dictionary says Maya Dambhe Kripayam Cha. Maya means pride and mercy. So, as we know, Sanskrit is a very flexible language. Many words have many meanings. Uh, maya, as we know, means to count. That which is not means so many different things. Pride, mercy. Maya is mercy. Okay. Which is good to read someone like Jiva Goswami because you will learn things that you would he points out things, little details like that you would generally never hear. And then Govinda. So this is a long section. We probably end up not getting past this. This is a number of pages long. Well, actually, we might, yeah. So following on, he's building his case. And he says, Jiva Goswami says, since Krishna eternally possesses the type of form just discussed for the purpose, purposes of absorbing himself in pastimes, he sometimes appears as the king of the Vrishnis and sometimes as Govinda, the coward boy. So, um, here is differentiating between Dwadakesh Krishna the Aishwarya aspect of Krishna and Raj Krishna, the Madhurya aspect. So, and this is, of course is, is just, he's, he's making the case that what Brahma or the, the, the Krishna that Brahma saw was the, the cowherd boy Krishna, even though like, it, like as we hear in the Gopal Tapani Upanishad that he, when, when, uh, before the, I guess at the dawn of creation, before create, yeah, before creation, um, when Brahma was trying to figure out who he was sitting on the Lotus and all that, he does his tapa, his penance and the Krishna reveals himself. He's dressed as a cowherd boy, but he was standing with the Gyan Mudra, some Mudra, this is a Bai, so it's something like Gyan or, so he's, he appears to Brahma as a teacher and as Guru Maharaj has pointed out in the past, that this confuses Brahma because 
he's seen Krishna. Krishna is his guru, gives him the mantra and all that. He's seen Krishna at the beginning of creation. And then eons later, when Krishna is doing his thing in Vrindavan and Brahma's hearing all these reports of, about this boy in Vrindavan who's doing all these extraordinary things, he goes to check it out. Well, he's confused because this boy doesn't look like the Krishna. He's similar, kind of got the same bodily color and everything. He's kind of dressed the same, but he's not acting like, you know, he doesn't have the Gyan Mudra. He's not, he's not teaching. He's not uh, giving a lecture on, in Sanskrit from the Shastra. What's going on here? He's just hanging out with these people in the jungle and eating with his left hand. He's kind of uncouth. That can't be can't be my guru. Well, he was wrong, and he finds out that he was wrong in no uncertain terms. Um, so, Sutta Goswami explains in the 12th canto, he says, O Krishna, O friend of Arjun, O chief among the descendants of Vrishni, O destroyer of those kings that are disturbing elements on this earth, O Lord, whose prowess never deteriorates, O Govinda. O Lord, who gives pleasure to the ears by the fame which purifies the universe, which is sung by Uddhava, the servant of the gopis of Braj. O Lord, please protect your devotees. And so Jiva Goswami comments that though Krishna performs two types of pastimes in Vrindavan and Dwaraka, the form as Govinda is the most worthy of worship because Govinda is endowed with the most affectionate form, pastimes, and associates. So, um, <clears throat> as Srila Sridharmaraj pointed out often, that affection, affection is the, mm, the arbiter of what is the highest uh, form of the absolute. So, you can say that, yes, Narayan is the absolute, no doubt. Narayan and Vaikuntha. Krishna and Dwaraka is the absolute, no doubt. And Krishna and Vraj is also the absolute, no doubt. They're all absolute. But we can, with finer discrimination, we can see that the more affection is, is uh, exchanged between the absolute, between God and his devotees, then that is a more complete aspect of the absolute so in vaikuntha narayan's associates are all dasya bhaktas and dasya vaikuntha of course is uh, steeped in aishwarya so they're their servants and they know their servants they know by they know that vishnu is god and they revere him as god and they don't get too close dwaraka no eh, they get closer no doubt and their love for him is, is stronger. And um, most, but still even there, most people, I believe I've heard this, that most people in Dwaraka see Krishna with four arms. Some see him with two, like Uddhava. You know, people, so in other words, the closer one gets to the absolute, the more personal and the sweeter he becomes. And so like, like in the Gita in the 11th chapter where Arjuna asks to see the universal form, he is, his mind is sent reeling by seeing that. And then he says, okay, 
that's enough. And could I see your forearm form? And Krishna says, sure, shows him that. And then he returns to his, and uh, I believe the, I don't, I don't recall exactly if the, in the Gita it's mentioned if it's a sweet form, but he, he returns to his, his own. It actually does say, I think it's like a gentle, yes, it uses the word like uh, gentle, his own, he returns to his gentle two-armed form. So, you know, if somebody shows up, if you were sitting on the couch with one of your friends and suddenly had four arms, you'd be like, yo, what's going on there? Uh, <laughs> that's not normal, you know, that's godly. So that's Aishwarya, that creates distance. And Govinda is not like that. Um, so he's got the most affectionate form, pastimes and associates. So this is a, uh, a reference to those qualities that Krishna has, the four qualities that Krishna has that no one else has, you know, the sweet, sweet flute, sweet pastimes, sweet associates, sweet love. So when Brahma is talking about Govinda, this is, this is the, the aspect of the absolute he's talking about. So then, of course, Jiva Goswami gives a number, quite a number of, of proofs to make his point here or to explain the reality of Govinda. Um, he says that in hmm, ah, Govinda, the Lord of the Cows, should not be considered an inferior name. So the person uh, whose mind is attracted to Aishwarya may think that, well, you know, why are you making such a big deal out of this? cowherd name this cowherd boy he's just a farmer what's the big deal you know he's not a king why should we care no that's a that's an incorrect way to think about it because after surabhi bathed krishna for his victory over indra indra gave him the name govinda as an honor so the king of the demigods gave him the name govinda uh so that's a um, pretty compelling reason to think that this name, there's something in this name. It's not, he's not just a cowherder. He's a very special cowherder. <laughs> and he, Jiva Goswami goes on to say that in the previous chapter of the Bhagavatam, so chapter 27, I believe, Shukadev prayed, Priyan na Indro Gavam. May the Lord of the cows be pleased with us. If Krishna is the shelter of all beings and then is called the shelter of the cows, it indicates that Krishna, as the Lord of the cows, is perfect in status. Krishna, calling Krishna Govinda, Lord of the cows, does not indicate a lesser being. The Go Sukta says, Go Bhyo Yagya Parvartante Go Bhyo Devaha Samuttitaha Go Samudgirnaha Shadanga Padakakramaha. Sacrifice takes place because of cows. The devatas appear because of cows. The Vedas with their six angas appear because of the cows. 
clearly a zebras written from a cow-centric society. Um, sacrifice takes place because of cows. Obviously, this is referring to uh, the, the dung used to make the yagyashala and the ghee that is poured into the fire. The David has appeared because of the cows. Um, there's a there's a statement that all of the all of the devas reside in the cows. So in a sense, you could say that all good qualities are in the cows. And so the David is appearing because of the cows. That's um, you could kind of reverse it and say, well, the cows possess all good qualities, and so the devas are like them. <laughs> the Vedas with their six ungas appear because of the cows. Not sure how that works. And then Jiva Goswami says, these cows have appeared on earth from the supreme planet of Golok. So they're obviously not ordinary cows. In that sense, then it makes sense that the Vedas would appear from them if they're, if they're Golokavasis, as has been pointed out in other places, like one particle of dust from, from Golok is enough to inundate the entire world with knowledge and enlighten the entire world. And so any being from there, be it a cow or a person, has the ability to manifest whatever they want. <laughs> so why not? And then he quotes from the Gopal Tapani. So you, you can see that Jiva Goswami is obviously his main source, his main praman is uh, the Bhagavatam. But He's also, he quotes often from the Shruti. And this is a good, that's why it's a good reason to read uh, commentaries like this because it gives you uh, Shruti arguments for, um, it gives you uh, evidence from the Shrutis, uh, evidence from the Shrutis to make his points, which is good because not everyone accepts the Bhagavatam, but people who know the Shastra, they, this is an Upanishad. So they, they want to say, well, Bhagavatam is just a Smriti. And so it's, uh, it's evidentiary weight is less than the Shruti, like the Upanishads. But we, we have the Gopal Tapani Upanishad, which says, Govindam Satchidananda Vigraham Vrindavan Sura Bhuruha Talasinam Sapatam Samarudganoham Toshayami I, this is Brahma speaking, I, along with the Maruts, satisfy Govinda, the form of eternity, knowledge, and bliss, who sits beneath a desire tree in Vrindavan. So, this Govinda is, you know, if he's being satisfied by Brahma, and then the Maruts, the Maruts are one of which is the wind, so these are very powerful demigods, I think they're some of the first created beings by, by Brahma. So if these people are, are putting forth effort to satisfy Govinda, who sits beneath a desire tree in Vrindavan, well, that Govinda is mm, pretty special. And then he quotes from the Bhagavatam, where Brahma prays for attaining association with the Lord's form as the son of Nanda. 
That's from the, again from the 14th chapter of the Bhagavatam, 10th canto, where Brahma says, my greatest possible good fortune would be to take any birth whatsoever in this forest of Gokul and have my head bathed by the dust falling from the lotus feet of any of its residents. So he's got a pretty good sense of how high it is to be a Vrindavan Vasi. Um, <laughs> I think it's easy sometimes for beginners, especially like myself, to, you know, take the stuff and just be like, well, yeah, okay. Of course, Vrindavan Krishna is better. He's got a sense of it, what it really means. I mean, to have any position there would be just absolutely amazing. And Brahma goes on to say, their entire life and soul is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Mukunda, the dust of whose lotus feet is still being searched for in the Vedic mantras. And then Brahma addresses in the, in the first verse of the 14th chapter, he addresses the Lord as the son of the coward Nanda, Pashu Pangajaya. So Pashupa. Pashu is uh, an animal. Pashupa is a protector of animals. So, and uh, Angajaya is one who has arisen from the body, the Anga. Arisen, Jaya, from the body of a cow, a cow protector. So he's, it's a, roundabout way of saying he's the son of Nanda because son of Nanda is Pashupa, the protector of the cows, and so he arises from him. So after all this, Jiva Goswami says, therefore, other meanings for the word Govinda, indicating various great powers, are not accepted. So he's, again, he's referring to those who would try to make the case that, well, Govinda is just a way of saying that Brahman possesses extraordinary powers which also would, uh, even if they went that route, they would be shooting themselves in the foot because Brahman, according to at least Shankara's conception, does not possess Shakti. So even that uh, attempt to render the word Govinda as impersonal or formless would be a fail. So then he quotes from the Gotamiya Tantra, which is a description of the 10-syllable mantra. That's, so that's um, one of the, it's not the Gopal mantra. It's, um, well, it's, it's a form of the Gopal mantra with 10 syllables. It's a bit shorter than the one that we are given. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there's a number of meanings. There's three different meanings of the mantra. Uh, one that Krishna is impersonal Brahman. And he's majestic in Golok and as intimate in Gokul. So he quotes that. And <clears throat> so he says the reasons for his being called Ishwara, the possessor of all powers as I referred to earlier, are two. One, he pervades everything as effect, karya, and he is the ultimate cause, karana. Prakriti also refers to the shakti of the Lord called Mahalakshmi, 
who appears in Vaikuntha. She is beyond Maya and arises from the Lord's Swarup. Angshamandalam, as is referring to this description, Angshamandalam refers to the forms of Sankarshan and others. Aneka Janma Siddhana means after endless births in the material world. This does not mean that the gopis are all sadhana siddhas, but that they, like Krishna, appear countless times to perform pastimes with him in the material world. So Govinda is a pastime form, is the point that he's making. And he says, thus the Gita says, Bahuni me vyatitani janmani tavacharjuna. O Arjun, you and I have passed many births in this world. So he's just making the point that Krishna comes to the world repeatedly for Leela. And he then quotes from the eighth chapter of the Bhagavatam, where Gargamuni is um, making the distinction between Krishna's Vasudeva's son and Nanda's son. And Jiva Goswami goes into a, a description of how that is so. So that Krishna appeared, he simultaneously appeared to, to uh, Vasudeva and to um, Nanda in Braj. And he makes the point that pure praying belongs to Nanda and is obstructed in Vasudeva because Vasudeva's love is mixed with knowledge that Krishna is the Lord. Thus, it is correct when Garga says that Krishna, though the son of Nanda, Atmaja, is also the son of Vasudeva. Shukadeva has also confirmed, also confirms that Krishna is the son of Nanda. Ninth chapter of the, the tenth canto. Nayang Sukapo Bhagavan Dehinam Gopika Sutta. Gyaninam Chatma Bhutanam Yatha Bhakti Matamiha. So he is Dehinam Gopika Sutta. His Dehi, his body, even though it's not a Dehi like ours, obviously. He's Gopika Sutta. He's the Sutta, the son of a Gopika which means the son of Yashoda. And of course, son of Yashoda means son of Nanda. So, so he has established that. So now we, uh, that, that ends that section on Govinda and we arrive at text two, which we'll start next time. So just a quick recap. He has established that Krishna is, he has a form, Brahman, let's say the absolute, has a form, it's Krishna, <clears throat> excuse me. And that form is not just any old form, it is because uh, we have a vigraha, right? Vigraha just means form. He's got a form. It's a form that is composed of eternity. It exists with, regardless of external material circumstances. Sat-vigraha. It's a chit-vigraha. It is self-revealed and therefore can reveal itself to anyone at any time. And it's an ananda-vigraha. It's a form that is uh, involved in lila because ananda, ananda means love. And love means associates, and so all the different rasas. Then we, you, that that uh, ananda vigraha, you could give an entire 
lecture on just that one word because it then you would get into uh, a discussion of rasa and all the different flavors of love and the nature of the parikars etc cetera, etc cetera. and then we've also heard that he is that the krishna being discussed is govinda um because that of course is in the original verse so govinda and what govinda means govinda means the son of nanda in braj so one of the names of vishnu and vaikuntha is govinda but that's a very different meaning there than the govinda in referred to here by brahma so uh, we have a note here let's see i think that you mentioned bhagavad-gita 10:10 that essentially said that bhagavan is revealed to us if we are in his service is that right well let's have a look at 10:10 and see what it says Tesham satatayuktanam bhajatam priti purvakam dadami buddhi yogam tam yenamam upayantite. So, yeah. Bhagavan is revealed to us if we are in his service. Um, well, bhajatam priti purvakam. If they approach me with love. So, according to uh, Rupa Goswami's definition of Shuddha Bhakti, it's got to be favorable and it can't be covered by karma or gyan. So if that's the case, then yes. Um, but the point that, uh, the point of, I was making of, of a self-revealed body is that, uh, there's nothing we can do to make Govinda appear to our senses. Right. All we can do is do our duty, do the sadhana dutifully, and eventually he may, you know, take pity on us and appear to us or not, and that's fine. Um, and implied in that, I think, is the idea that God reciprocates. Like, like he does say in that verse, in the in the Gita verse ten ten, that you know. Um, I give them the intelligence. As they approach me, I give them the intelligence to come to me. So according to their approach. So if one wants to, uh, is approaching him as a, as a, uh, as a lover, say, for example, <laughs> then he will give you a specific kind of intelligence to approach him in that way, specifically, and for all other Rosses, so. Um, but in a more general sense, I think uh, way, way, way before we get to any of that, uh, he's going to give you the intelligence to you know, overcome the material nature and think of him like he's throughout the Gita. He's like telling Arjuna, think of me always, never forget me, despite whatever you're doing in the day, you know, or whatever your duties are, you've got your, your uh, worldly duties to attend to just to be able to maintain your body. So you got to work to live. Okay. So, but while you're doing that, remember, remember me, do it for me. 
So that's Krishna um, given given us some intelligence to approach him. And, but yeah, on the higher end, sure, he's uh, um, as we approach him, that will determine how he reveals himself to us. So if we approach him uh, like Shishupal did, well, you know, after the hundredth insult, off with your head. Or if you approach him like the gopis, well, that's a very different, you're going to get a very different result. So I, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's our hour. And that's, uh, we got to right where I wanted to. So next time, uh, um, we will be picking up with verse two. So that just a kind of a preview of that is uh, it's a description for those of you who are familiar with the text, the description of Gokul as the thousand petaled lotus. So having described the, uh, the general nature of the deity, next we're going to go to the Dom. Where does this deity live? What is the appropriate place for such a being to live? So we're going to hear about that next. So thank you for attending and um, I appreciate your taking the time to listen to this small uh, nugget of wisdom from Jiva Goswami and have a great day. Thank you.